The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And let's go to the highly anticipated Duff McKagan joke of the week. Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you. Uh, you guys are having a great week. Uh, listen, did you know to start a zoo, you need a, a panda, you need two grizzlies, and uh, three polars. Yeah, that is the bare minimum. Thank you very much. Goodbye. That's two in a row for Duff. Uh, must be the Australian air. I just met with him last night here in Melbourne. We had a great dinner. Great to see him. He's such a good guy. Duff and uh, GNR in Australia playing some gigs. Uh, the same as we are. We started in Brisbane. And tonight we're sold out in Melbourne. Uh, Guns N' Roses playing Melbourne tomorrow night, Saturday, if you are in Melbourne. And we're in Sydney on Saturday, Adelaide on Sunday, heading back home after that. Still some tickets available for the Adelaide VIP and for the shows in Sydney and Adelaide, like I said, we are sold out VIP and ticket-wise in Melbourne tonight. But if you're in Sydney and Adelaide, go to check out FozzyRock.com and get some tickets. You'll also be able to see Fozzy on Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea, Four Leaf Clover. We set sail February 2nd. The lineup on this ship is stacked. We're adding new guests every single week. We just had a big announcement uh, a few days ago. Jungle Boy, Luchasaurus, Layla Gray, Frankie Kazarian, Mark Sterling, Satnam Singh, Jay Lethal, The Gun Club, Sheeta, Willow Nightingale, Ortiz are all being added to the vacation of a lifetime, along with Nyla Rose, Vicky Guerrero, Ricky Starks, Chaos Project, Lucha Brothers, Swerve Strickland, The Acclaimed, Jade Cargill, uh, Danhausen, The Top Flight, the lists go on and on and on and on. It is going to be amazing with the AEW roster on the ship, on the cruise, and we're also going to have the inaugural crowning of the Jericho Cruise Oceanic Champion. Plus, we've got comedy, music, live podcasts. We're going to our own private island for the first time ever, Great Stirrup K. Book your cabin now at chrisjerichocruise.com. Don't you dare miss it. All right, coming up today, one of my favorite Christian metal bands when I was growing up, Baron Cross. They played their very first live show together in 10 years last September over Labor Day weekend at the first annual Immortal Fest in Versailles, Ohio. I had the honor of not only attending the show, but hosting a live Q&A before they hit the stage. All four original members of the band, singer Michael Drive, bassist Jim Laverty, guitarist Ray Paris, and drummer Steve Whitaker. Got some great questions for the fans in attendance, had a few of my own, covered a lot of ground as you're about to hear. We got into how the band got started thanks to a few advertisements in a local newspaper at the time called The Recycler. That's, I think, where Lars and James from Metallica hooked up. 
Uh, this was the 80s, no internet or social media. Then they talk about recording the demo that led landed them their first record deal, how they eventually got noticed by and signed to Enigma Records, the big label at the time that was also home to Striper. Guys talk about an old UPS truck they bought and turned into their touring bus. And they talk about the backlash they face from fellow Christians and the church for playing heavy metal music. They get into the music itself, the commercial mainstream bands that inspired them like Iron Maiden and Judas Priest, the messages in their lyrics and some of their favorite songs. So here we go. A Q&A with all four members, original members of Baron Cross recorded live at the Immortal Christian Rock Festival back in September on the eve of the all out pay-per-view in Chicago. They're here right now on Talk is Jericho. When was the last show you guys had? That was uh, 2012 in Switzerland. Elements of Rock. I've watched that on YouTube many times. <laughs> so how did it come to be that you guys decided after 10 years to, to play today? It was time. <laughs> <laughs> did you just feel the need? No, actually Mike put it together. Yeah, we were just we were just asked to come and perform here, and uh, just fell that way, and, and an opportunity to uh, once again appear before people, and so yeah, that's it. I kind of feel that it's like the kind of a clandestine meeting where the the bat phone rings, and it's like Mike is on the phone. We want to play a gig. So do you have to? I mean, obviously, shake off the cobwebs. Uh, Ten years, and these are not easy songs to play. There's some very intricate stuff. Is it like riding a bike, or do you have to like go back to the woodshed and try and figure out the solos, and what did I do at that part? Yeah. Yes, all of it. Yeah, it was the, like riding a there was a cycle, really. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of relearning to do. You know, I, I, when I first pulled out the songs that I hadn't sung in some years, uh, yeah, I, I, I had to sometimes pull up the lyrics on uh, on the internet. Let's see, what are the lyrics to that song? You know, so I'm reading it. Oh, yeah, that's right. You know, so, so yeah. It took some time. A lot of personal rehearsals that we all had in order to remember our parts. And, uh, yeah. Well, you guys have chemistry. And another thing, too, is original members. That's such a rare thing. All of these guys have played on every, every Baron Cross record from the start. So, obviously, there's 40-odd years, right? I mean, that's a rare thing. Hey, by the way, thank you for coming, you guys. Thank you. So there, there's a lot of friendship here, I imagine. And once again, you guys are pioneers in this field. If, you, if there's a Christian big four, Baron Cross is definitely in that top four. Uh, let's go back to the original days of Baron Cross. Uh, Christian metal at the time, 1983, 1984, was very new. Um, did you guys start as a Christian metal band? Did you meet in high school? Was it one of those things? Like, how did this all come together of you guys beginning the band? Well, uh, I was looking for Christian musicians, and I met a guy that uh, in a magazine called The Recycler. You could buy anything through it. And I found this guy, and this guy found Steve, uh, I was 16, and I think Steve was a year older than I was. And this dude was 27, so it was kind of an oddball thing. But uh, they weren't really doing metal, which was what I wanted to do. And uh, so Steve and I kind of hooked up after a practice and said, you know, we need to go in a different direction. And so Steve uh, looked around and looked around, and about a year later, he found Mike. How did you find Mike? I can't remember how you found Mike. 
Mike advertised in the recycler for oh, a, as a singer. You advertised in the recycler too. Yeah. See, so pre-internet, you would have to advertise yeah. in a newspaper, essentially. Yeah. Band looking for a singer, band looking for a guitar player. So it's yeah. a different time back then, kids. Yeah, no kidding. What, wasn't so I, wasn't I looking for a drummer at the time? And says, hey, check this out. And he makes Mike sing in the telephone. Yeah. And Mike sings in the phone, and I'm like, okay, let's get together. And then Mike finally found Jimbo. So uh, November... I think it's 9th, 1983 was our first practice. And so wanting to be a Christian band, I mean, like we mentioned, 1983, that's pre-Striper, that's pre-Bloodgood, that's pre-everything. Christian rock at the time is, you know, the Res Band and Petra, and God bless them, they're great bands, but they didn't really look very cool. They kind of looked like my dad. So... What kind of inspired you to go in this direction? Because there's a big calling to do that at that time frame. I, th I think for us, it was kind of an automatic thing. Uh, we're, we were Christians, and uh, it just felt natural somehow to write our songs about what we believed in and what we cared about, the things that were really important to us. And so for me, that was not only about God, uh, which I wrote songs about God, but it was about also helping people out. That's why I wrote songs that, that discouraged people from committing suicide or taking drugs because drugs destroy people's lives. So, you know, like Deadlock is about that. Um, and uh, In the Eye of the Fire is about suicide and, and some other songs like that that uh, was very close, uh, near and dear to my heart. So, It was some very deep stuff for sure because I remember, you know, uh, In the Eye of the Fire is about suicide and uh, Killers of the Unborn is about abortion and, you know, cultic regimes. It's very deep stuff. For, for heavy metal and as a teenager, but I said this to Les Carlson earlier. We're kind of jumping around, but that's okay. It's my show. I can do what I want. Do you understand the influence that you guys have on a whole generation of kids that are now musicians, pro wrestlers, actors? Do you realize this? Like, it's unbelievable for me to be here talking to Baron Cross, and I'm not going to fanboy, but I will. It's an honor. Like, I'm so excited. I've been following you guys since Rock for the King, and it's just really, really cool. And this is just one of many professionals, musicians, rockstars, etc., who appreciate the, the work that you do. Well, I don't think that in the moment, 1983, 1984, that we knew what was coming, because it really kind of started with Striper. I remember going, I mean, Ray and I went to the music machine, we saw them play, their very first show, and, and they played at Calvary Chapel Downey and had to play two shows in a row because they couldn't fit more than 2,000 people. We knew at that point that God was doing something. It was almost like a revival hitting the area of Los Angeles. And it really, I mean, when you think about the success that they had, uh, the sex, success at Guardian and Bloodgood, is that they reached across the aisle, if you will, and they were able to play good music with a good message. And so I don't think that we realized what was happening. We were just playing music that we liked to play. And we were talking about things that were affecting us at the time and affecting our friends at the time. Things like drug abuse, things like suicide, like we've already talked about. And, um, and you know, you, you write about these things, but you realize that it is a relational thing that happens that you know, yes, we're writing about these issues, but it's not just for us. And there were so many people that were affected by that. And so, no, we didn't realize in the beginning what that was going to do. 
and, um, and what kind of a family environment that actually did. How many people know each other here? How many, do you guys actually, you know, seriously, we know each other, we've been around each other for 30, 40 years now, and we know each other by first and last names, and what it really boils down to is family, right? So, and you're right about that, because I think, especially with, with Christian heavy metal, the community is, is fairly small, but it's also very large. If you show up wearing a Baron Cross shirt and somebody knows who Baron Cross is, you're instantly friends. You know, it's not like wearing a, you know, Iron Maiden shirt or something along those lines, which is, so what I want to ask you guys, though, is when you first started, you're teenagers, was it hard to get a record deal at that point in time? Because I remember that first album, you look really young, like kids, you didn't even have long hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there was no, the, we went through all the Christian record companies to start with, and it was just a no, 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 no. Um, it Too was heavy just, or? Yeah, it was just so different from what was happening in the Christian music scene. Uh, you know, I, I grew up on Black Sabbath and Deep Purple and you know, in my Bible, I remember my Bible study leader saying, you know, you got to stop listening to that. And I'm like, well, what do I listen to? Right. And she actually said, go form a band. And I said, okay. <laughs> so. Exactly. But yeah, it was, it was very different. There was nothing like, like us. I, me I remember, <laughs> I remember having the record company there and and some bizarre things happening because it was kind of a secular show and I thought, man, these people will never sign us. But somebody took a chance and then Enigma took a chance on us, uh, which was just the thing that kind of catapulted the whole thing. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Remember the first record, uh, you guys were wearing all blue and white outfits. And obviously, Striper was yellow and black. There it is right there, Rock to the King. Was this something that the record company asked you to do, or did you think, we're going to be blue and white? It's perfect. I think, I think that was just an organic thing for us, yeah. yeah. Just kind of what we felt like doing. It's a little bit more like Kiss than anything else, really, but except without the makeup, you know. You know, the funny thing about that record is that's only half the costume. So that was actually the underneath costume, and we were all wearing white leather. So I had all these white leather chaps and, and, you, and white leather for us, and then it, they got stolen out of, out of our, the designer's car. And they said, well, all we have left are the pajamas. <laughs> and I'm like, and we couldn't afford to buy any more leather because that was, you know, we, were, we didn't have any money. But that, pajamas, that's the funny boys. story about that. You know, all, the, all the leather was stolen. So, Ray, I just wanted to remind you that we were the original Kickstarters because it's like we didn't have a record label in the beginning. We had a vision. We had an idea of what we wanted to do. And so, like, you know, Steve's mom uh, and my dad um, and numerous other people, uh, you know, pulled their money together and we made our first record. 
Ray and I, uh, you know, we walked into John Adino Elefante's studio not knowing a thing about what it would take to make a record. And, you know, the Lord just, he created favor there with, with them. And, uh, you know, before we even had a one penny, we went to John and Dino Alfonte and said, you know, can we, you know what would it take to make a record? And, and so, uh, yeah, see that blue and white? Everybody turn around and look at that, that blue and white. You see it. Raise that up. Stand up, sir. You mind standing up? It's yeah. got the cover of yeah. Rock to the King. Yeah, that's believe. That's the demo. That's believe. And so friends and family invested in that record. And, and, you know, we just thank them for that because they actually are the ones that actually provided the means for us to do that. And, and that record right there led to us having a record deal with uh, a few other record labels, you know. Yeah, we, we, sold, we actually, from that album, we sold about 4,000 copies really fast. And that caught the, uh, the attention of our first company, which was Starsong, was it? And then, and then um, after we, Star, Star Song put us back in the studio to record three more songs, which became Rock for the King. Uh, and then after that, uh, uh, shortly thereafter, it caught the, uh, the eye of uh, Enigma Capital, which became our next company. They bought out the contract from Star Song, and then uh, we made Atomic Arena and State of Control, and there you go. Enigma Records was a huge record company at the time. I mean, Striper was on Enigma, and I remember I, I was I was that guy that would follow that Star Song. It's a Christian label, and then the next record came out, Atomic Arena, on Enigma. Uh, that's a big jump. Did Did you guys see uh, more money in the organization, uh, more money to record your record? What was the big difference in, in signing with Enigma at that time? Yeah, well, they they did. They flew us out to New York to uh, re, uh, to film our video, Imaginary Music, and uh, also they they put us into the studio to film uh, the uh, the video "Crying Over You," um, uh, which was the uh, State of Control song, and uh, and they, a, a few things like that. Um, I think the contract ended up being rather one-sided, but uh, nonetheless, it was uh, it was it was a good opportunity. So. Another thing I always loved about your band, it's funny because back in that time frame, because like Ray said, who am I supposed to listen to if I like Black Sabbath? Well, then a band called Trouble came out, which is a great Christian metal band. Who am I supposed to listen to if I like Van Halen or Priest? Well, then Striper came out. Who am I supposed to listen to if I like Iron Maiden and Baron Cross? It was just so in that vein. Bass playing wise, I mean, dude, one of the ba best bass players right here. Were you, and, and obviously too, Mike, soundcheck, wait till you guys hear him, if you didn't see him last night, still sounds amazing, and there's a very Bruce Dickinson tone to your vocals as well. Were you Iron Maiden fans, or is it just the way you play and it just happened that way? I was a Maiden fan. <laughs> yeah. Well, and your leads too, absolutely. For a one guitar band especially as well, right? Yeah, I did like Iron Maiden. I liked all the technical stuff. Uh, I was actually much more into the progressive, the English progressive rock scene, which was uh, old, uh, like Yes, and uh, old Genesis, uh, UK, King Crimson, Kansas. Actually, even Kansas was a very technical band, and I always liked that kind of stuff. That's why when you hear some of my bridges, like in 2000 Years or In the Eye of the Fire or something like that, it's very technical, a lot of movements. And uh, so, yeah, that always turned me on. And yeah, I, I became very influenced by Mike's influences because I had to room with this guy. <laughs> and while he was putting on his hair and makeup, 
you know, he'd be blaring, you know, yes, you know, he'd be blaring, you know, King Crimson and everything like that. But yeah, for me, it was Rush. Uh, I was a big Rush fan, you know, and, uh, you know, Getty Lee was my, one of my idols as far as like, I'm not in him an idol, but somebody I really looked up to as a bass player, played with the drummer. If any bass players out there, look at your drummer, make sure you're playing along with them, you know, they will love you. And so, uh, anyway, go ahead. How about you, Steve? Who did you uh, pattern your, your drumming after? Uh, about the same bands. Iron Maiden, um, Judas Priest, um, and... Um, but my favorite singer was Karen Carpenter. Karen, Karen Carpenter is one of his favorite singers. She's great. Uh, I, we got a question here. Mark from Chicago wants to know, and actually I'd like to know too, what is an atomic arena? Million dollar question, right? Mike? It's self-explanatory, what can I say? It, it's an arena that's atomic. It, it's, a, it's arena, only bigger. Well, <laughs> only louder. Well, do you, if, if some of you know this, if, if you bought the actual vinyl at the time uh, from Enigma Records, uh, they had a sticker on it, and this is what they used to advertise the album. At the time, it was shortly after the Chernobyl, the Chernobyl disaster in, uh, in, in Russia, and it said, the sticker on the on Atomic Arena said, forget Chernobyl, this is what a real metal meltdown is all about. <laughs> I remember that. Everybody wave to the camera. I remember that. That's so funny. <laughs> this is what a real metal meltdown is. Let's talk about touring at that time frame because you guys were, I'm sure, on the road quite a bit. Tell us what it was like to be, to be touring with Baron Cross. Limousines and uh, private jets and that sort of thing? I had the space behind the driver's seat on the floor. I don't know where everybody else slept. But. Our, first, our first touring bus was a UPS truck that Steve bought, and he says, hey, look what I bought for the band, and it was this old, dilapidated UPS truck, and he said, but I'm gonna paint it blue and white. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and whatever you do, don't mention the motorhome that I crashed on tour in Texas. Oh, there was a crash in Texas? Yes. What happened in Texas, Mike? Uh, well, I, I, I took out one of those big light poles on the freeway, yeah. And a don't mess with Texas sign. No respect. No respect, you guys. If you're going to do it, if you're going to wreck something, take out one of those signs, see what happens. The, yeah. the Atomic Arena said, if you want to hear a real metal meltdown, listen to this record. The next, al the next album said, Mike Lee, he dares to mess with Texas. That's a great one. That's it, yeah, we should do that. There we go. What, what else do you remember about that time frame? Because like, I know if you watch uh, the Blood Good documentary, they're playing anywhere from big halls to, you know, shrimp, shrimp, shrimp shacks and things of those lines. Roller rinks, I saw them in a roller rink. What was it like for you guys on that tour? Did you know what you were playing? Did you show up some places and there were little dives and were other places, huge, huge venues? We had really a plan. Um, we ate off the Christian shows in order to play clubs. And uh, so we really had a conscious effort because we wanted to be where uh, you know we thought non-Christians would be. So we were very evangelistic, um, and it didn't matter where we were, that was really the goal. And so we're thankful for all the Christian shows that put food in our body and you know, paid us some money so that we can go in and 
and play a, a club in nowhere land or play some of the, actually some of the bigger clubs uh, and, and try and be a, a light in those areas. So that was really the mission. Yeah, I think that you have to be, listen, a lot of times people say, you know, what do you guys, do you guys always say something from the stage? No, we don't. There was times when we let the music do the talking, you know. And then there's other times when you feel the prompting from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I need to say something. We need to talk to some. Maybe somebody needs to hear a word that's, that's from the Lord, you know what I mean? So it's, it was all about being sensitive to whatever God was doing. But you know what, as far as like being on the road together, yeah, it, that was a big learning experience because it's like being married, you know, and it's like uh, sometimes I get up and I was like, man, if I see Ray's face one more day, <laughs> if I have to look at that hair that absorbs 25 gallons of water, just kidding, Ray, but it, it was hard. It tested our friendships, but, you know, look at 40 years later, Ray's still one of my closest friends. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. At the time, it was, it was such a strange era for, for bands like yours because in a lot of cases, Christians were angry because you shouldn't be playing rock and roll. In other cases, you'd have people picketing being angry that you were there. Did you ever have any uh, confrontations with people that are supposed to be on the same side as we are? All the time back then. What's that? All the time back the then, time? yeah. yeah. People, people uh, although we rehearsed at my mom's house in the back music room which with no, no deadening at all, and the neighbors all liked us. So <laughs> that was pretty cool. But yeah, we had, um, we had a few occasions where there were people that didn't like heavy metal sound back then. I think one of the things that you have to ask yourself, if Jesus was here today, where would he be? Would he be in the church or would he be hanging out in the bars with people that really needed to know what's going on spiritually, you know, as him as Lord and Savior? I think that he wouldn't be afraid to associate with people in the church, but you know what? He would be with the sinners and the tax gatherers and the prostitutes and the people that really were hungry and wanted to know, you know what I mean? And so Jesus himself was radical. And you know what? He was persecuted for doing that. You know, you remember? He eats with those people. What is he doing with those people, you know? And so, yeah, you know, people were, people were picketing. They didn't understand the look. They didn't understand, you know, the hair, the makeup and whatnot, you know, the, the, the spandex. You won't be seeing us in spandex tonight. So let you know, you don't want to see us in spandex. You know, we've been, uh, you know, but so where was I going with that? The bottom line is, you guys, is it what it boils down to is read our lyrics. What is the song saying? You know, what is it teaching you? You know, and if you look beyond the outward appearance, because if you're only looking at the outward appearance and you're not looking at the heart, you're misjudging. You know, and so that's what happened. People looked at us and they were like, what are you doing? Why do you look that way? 
you know. So, but instead, look at our hearts and find out what we're doing and what we're all about. You know, Bo, it opened up a lot of um, opportunity for other ministries. I mean, a lot of promoters, churches, you know, grasped onto this and said, you know, we got kids here that want this. And um, it opened up ministries uh, for, for so many different avenues. You know, uh, street witnessing and, and getting into amusement parks, you know, Knott's Berry Farm and playing things like that. It really, really exploded. It really it's, it's, it's interesting to me because um, I remember on the first record, there was a message from Pastor Bob Beeman, who I just met tonight. He's here. I was like super excited to be Pastor Bob. Was he, was he in, instrumental in helping the band get off the ground? Like, why was, why was his message on your album? Well, I mean, you know, he was the one that was, you know, taking care of the follow-up. Uh, so, many, so many folks were giving their hearts to the Lord back in 1984, 85, 83, and they really didn't have a place to fellowship. You know, you basically have people coming off of Hollywood Boulevard coming into the average Baptist church, and they were like, oh, my gosh, what's going on there? And so that's where we created Sanctuary as a follow-up. And so, yeah, so Bob, I mean, Bob's probably over there somewhere, and uh, he's always been a part of what we're doing, and, um, and so, you know, he's helped us through a lot of tough times and helped guide us, um, and so, but yeah, so that was a, a really good way to, uh, to have follow-up, because, you know, four guys, we can't do it, you know, I mean, you can't follow up with everybody. Billy Graham couldn't do it, you know, I mean, so he, there was an extended family that helped him to do the follow-up. You know, hey, and let me just say one of the best things about about this. Some of the best news that I that I can tell you that I've ever heard is when I hear a message or I get a, a email or a text message from somebody that said, "Hey, man, I gave my heart to Christ in 1986 at a Baron Cross concert, and I want to let you know." Hey, hang on, the best part's coming. I want to let you know that I'm pastoring a church now. That is good news, isn't it? You can't ask for any better news than that because not only are they giving their hearts to Christ, but they're actually, you know, doing something and being a, a doer and pastoring. I love hearing that. So, do you have any stories that you remember of of of, of a kid coming up to you or, and saying, you know, I need help or you've saved us or I'm sure you got that quite often through over the years. Yeah. Well. Really, in a lot of uh, the fan mail that we've received, uh, I've gotten so many stories from people, personal stories and uh, very intimate sometimes stories uh, on what they were dealing with and, and how they overcame uh, something because of a certain influence that we had upon them. And, uh, you know, it's not us. It's really God that does this in the heart of man. Uh, we're just a vehicle. And so, you know... For us, the, the music is, has a purpose, you know. We, it's, it's, we love playing this music, and it, we know it's a gift from God. We can't take credit. I can't take credit for my lead vocals. Um, I, I'm thanking God that he gave me this gift. It's a gift, so you can't take credit for what you're given. But uh, I'm, I use it um, for God's glory. I try and uh, try to make the best of it, um, and it just comes natural. I want to do this because it's in my heart to... Uh, to want people to know what we have. And what we have is the best thing in the world. It's the most fulfilling thing. When you know Jesus Christ and you've surrendered everything to him, 
That is the most fulfilling place to be. And I have been in a place where I was surrendered to myself. I spoke a little bit about this last night, where um, I was uh, completely, uh, I mean, I, I went a little bit off the deep edge for a while, several years, and uh, uh, just serving myself, really. Uh, but I, I knew something was wrong. And so eventually, I, uh, uh, I'll just make a long story short, I totally surrendered and repented uh, to Christ. I never went back. Uh, and, and it's the most fulfilling place that I have ever been in. After, after completely fulfilling all my desires and whatever I wanted to do, from going from that to fulfilling Jesus Christ's desires and all He wants me to do, it's such a better place to be. So I was going to mention this to you guys as well when, when State of Control came out. They were, there was airplay for crying over you. I grew up in Winnipeg, Canada, and they, they were playing it on the radio constant. I was so like, I can't believe they're playing Baron Cross on the rock radio station. Was that a minor hit for you guys in a lot of places? Because I know in Winnipeg, they were playing it all the time. Do you even know that? <laughs> Did you even know, like, was, was it getting a lot of uh, action? Well, thanks. Let us know. <laughs> Somebody must have liked it. I guess I didn't know. I didn't know if Enigma was putting some money into that that you guys knew about. Well, they they made the video, um, but I guess so. I mean, I remember talking to Wes Hine, the president, and he said, you know, things are are doing really well at some certain point. We had hit a a, a number plateau that he was pleased with, but I don't know. I, those things, you know, I don't know if we concerned ourselves so much about that all the time. I'm, I don't know. You were doing it just for the love of the Lord. Is, I mean, it seems like this is a pure example of a band who's out there doing it for the right reasons and appreciating that. Well, first of all, we were musicians, okay? It's a, it's, as I said, it's the gift that God gave to us, so we wanted to play music, so we're musicians, but we're expressing what we're all about, and that's just, just, that's just what came naturally. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. questions here from uh, our great audience. Who does the laugh at the beginning of cultic regimes? Yeah, yeah. yeah that was me. I, that was a little bit sped up, though, I have to say. <laughs> but once again, like, you guys are just young, young guys, and everyone wrote songs in Baron Cross, which is also very cool. Every guy on this stage wrote some of the, some of the great songs in the catalog. The only other band I can think of that did that was Queen. So here you go, this is the queen of Christian metal, guys, right here. When you're talking about, like you mentioned, I mean, uh, Inner War, which is about, you know, premarital sex, I would imagine, I think it was about. I used to really listen to those lyrics and try and, you know, I have an inner war with myself. Uh, a a bigotry, bigotry man talking about racism. I mean, these are very deep topics. And then we mentioned In the Eye of the Fire, we mentioned, uh, you know, uh, uh, Killers of the Unborn. It's pretty deep stuff for young guys. But 
what, what attracted you to want to continue to write songs like that, State of Control, about alcoholism in your family? Well, you know, the, there are issues that, that were important to us. The racism was a real thing. Um, uh, you know, we didn't use it as a political tool like they do today. Thank you very much. And, um, but anyway, it's, it's, a, it's a real thing. Nobody should be racist. I love, I love Asians. I love black people. I love, uh, you know, anybody from uh, just people are people. We all have red blood that makes us the human race. The problem is, is there's an attack on the human race right now. It's an attack on us humans, regardless of what color we are. And that is the problem. Sounds like you got some uh, ideas for some new material. Which fits in, because Ralph wants to know, are you guys going to do new material? The age-old question. Putting them on the spot, guys. Have you thought about that? Because, I mean, the last record, Radio Cage, was almost 30 years ago. Even a song, maybe? Or have you ever been moved to, to, to think about that? It's always possible. You know, as I tell people, <clears throat> we're kind of like what the Eagles said when they released their, uh, uh, what is it, Hell Freezes Over album? They said, um, we never officially broke up. We just took a 14-year vacation, you know. <laughs> I feel the same way about us. <laughs> uh, Someone else wants to know, where did the name Baron Cross come from? There's a lot of crosses. There was White Cross, Neon Cross, but Baron Cross, that's a good one. Oh, yeah. Ray, uh, that one's for you. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just, uh, I, I probably was at some point enamored with the resurrection, the separator of all religions is Christ rising from the dead. So it's probably... Probably something from, from that era, you know, something I heard. Uh, someone else is asking, Jeff from Winnipeg wants to know, what was your all-time favorite gig? Does one of them stand out for you as your best show ever? I'm pretty sure it's going to be tonight. <laughs> nice. Matter of fact, I'm very sure. <laughs> what a pro. What a true pro's answer. How about, how about you, Mike? I can say Lancaster, Pennsylvania was a really uh, interesting night when we played there once. Uh, but, you know, it, it also, yeah, I'm, I'm going to refrain from something I was going to say. But uh, anyway, yeah, that was a really nice night. Um, there, there are lots of really good nights that have great memories, but, so it's really a hard question to answer. I got one. Okay. So Ray had to buy me dinner after this one because this was really... We played a concert in Brands, Brownsville, Texas, which is about as south as you can go. And it was packed. I mean, there must have been 1,000, 1,500 people in this. And I don't know, Ray is my good friend. I don't know why he got in, what got in him to do this. But at the end of the show, he throws me into the crowd. And... Yo, you did it. You were in on it too? Yes, I was. Oh, come on. So I'm, I'm up there, and it was really great at first. I was crowd surfing. Awesome. And I was like, you know, this is pretty cool until I started to sink. And as I started to sink, my clothes started disappearing. By the time I got down, my socks were off, my shirt was off, and my pants were coming off. 
Yeah, yeah the, these were like piranhas, you know. They were, it was South Texas. They were like really rowdy people. We had to rec we had to rescue Jim right after like what a what a minute or something. You would have been, yeah, okay. I'm not done with the story. I'm not done. And all of a sudden, I see from the crowd this big, gigantic, hairy hand come down. It was our road manager. And he grabbed me. I don't know how he did. Grabbed me by the arm and yanked me out. And when I came out, I was like, oh, my gosh, where did my clothes go? And I'm bleeding. It was a great show, though. It was awesome. And, and Ray felt so bad that I think he bought me an In-N-Out burger the next day. Thank you. At that time, you know, we wore a lot of accessories and stuff like chains and things like that. And I think they were almost all gone from him, right? And so by the time a chain gets yanked out from your waist, you're injured. Do you want to set up for you, right? For Steve? Uh, I think the most memorable was uh, we played at a club called Blondie's in uh, Detroit. Yeah. And. We played, I think we played there twice. The second time we played, it was just a real, real oppressive night. There was just such, it just, it was, you can just sense it. And there was a real bad car accident right out front. And I remember the girl got really hurt and uh, we waited for the hospital and, or the ambulance to come and, and we got a chance to pray with her and just say, you know, it's gonna be okay and, uh, just, you know, just things like that stick out. Uh, here's, here's another really interesting time involving Ray as well. Um, and some of you, I don't know. Jeez, Ray. Fool you. So anyway, uh, a couple of you might have been at this show because it took place in Indianapolis. I, I spoke with somebody last night, and they told me that they were at that show. They reminded me of this event. Anyway, uh, we played the entire show. We were, we were doing our the last song of the set before the encore, and at that time it was Living Dead. And so we're, we're getting ready to crash down on the very last chord of the song. I'm right next to Ray. He comes slamming his Charville Jackson down on my head, breaks the Charville Jack, the, the head in three places. I got blood starting to rush out of my head, right? He's got hair hanging from his guitar. <laughs> it's, uh, it's broken in three places. I'm wobbling off stage, and, uh, but I started to say, we, we, need to go to the, we need to do the encore. And they said, no, you're going to the hospital for stitches right now. No, I want to do the encore. I'm serious. I wanted to do the encore. I didn't care that I was bleeding. I just wanted to do the encore. Anyway, uh, so they, they, they took me to the hospital. I didn't get to do my encore, but I got a bunch of stitches, and his guitar was fried. He tried to go back and play a solo. <laughs> that didn't work quite well. Right, Ray? Let me say one thing about that. How cool would it have been for Mike with blood going all over, soaking on his shirt everywhere to come back on an encore? You want metal? Yeah, yeah. Gene Simmons, eat your heart out. You got metal. <laughs> I, uh, as we start to wind down here, we got a, a big shows coming up uh, throughout the day. Uh, Mike, I took a picture of it backstage, and I said, this is the Christian metal equivalent of taking a picture of Paul Stanley's boots. It's the acoustic... Flying V guitar. Where did you ever find that guitar? I have never seen one ever except for the one that you have. Well, it's, it's very rare. Uh, they didn't make very many of them. I, it, in 1984, I bought that guitar uh, in, a, in a little music store called Whittier Music in California, part of Los Angeles. And I, I said, my first reaction was, 
oh, this is not going to sound good. It's not going to stay in tune. I was totally wrong on all, on all counts. The thing has g- good intonation. It stays in tune. It sounded pretty good through a PA. Um, and so I thought, oh, no, I'm going to buy this. So I bought it, and I still have it, and you guys are going to see it tonight. So. I watched them sound check earlier, which was great. They did, uh, well, I don't, well, I should say it, Stage of Intensity. Um, I always love the way that you guys would trade off acoustic and electric. It's very unique. I, I don't hear a lot of bands that do that. Once again, is this something you came up with together? Is it a song that you just wrote? I mean, there's some good chemistry there with you guys. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, in fact, the first song that we're going to, I'm not going to say which one it is, but I, we're going to open up w- with that tonight, and uh, it, that's where I use my V. And so, uh, it's, yeah, it's got the back and forth acoustics. Uh, you probably know which one it is, but I won't say it. But, it, no, but once again, it's part of the unique sound of Baron Cross. So, so last question for you guys. What is your favorite song to play live after all these years? King of Kings. Oh, written by him. See, I told you, I'm that guy. I actually really like to play Inner War from the State of Control album. Jim? If I could still play Inner War, it'd be great. <laughs> um, you know what? Um, there, I've got some favorites, but I love Here I Am. Um, uh, I do. That was a great song written by Steve Whitaker. And, uh, and the, you know, as a worship leader myself, that, that bridge section where it's Here I Am, Take Over Me, Send Your Almighty Power to Come Over Me. Yeah, that just, that does something to my spirit every time. And, um, yeah, so that's one of my favorites. How about you, Steve? Uh, Here I Am is my favorite song. That it, <laughs> that's because you wrote it, right? <laughs> Ray? I think Stage of Intensity is that's one of my favorites. So just to sum it up, Baron Cross, 40 years of, of being influences, and not just a great rock and roll band, but influencing people's lives in a very positive way. How does that make you feel? To, once again, I asked it before, but... but did God, is God happy with your work that you've done? Do you feel like at the end of the day it's been a job well done? I think that, I think that the Lord does things and, uh, that we are blown away by, right? You know, and I don't think that the work is done. I think that, that, that until we all four of us go to heaven, you know, God's going, that's when he's going to be done with us here on the earth. But, you know, yeah, I, you know, it's like I'm blown away by what God has done. And, um, and you guys, let me just say, if you just look around here for a minute, with Baron Cross and you guys, I don't see you as the audience. I see us as family. Is that important to you? I see, I, I don't, I, I really, the barrier right here, I don't, you know, I'm not a big fan of this. I want to be with you guys. And, but I'm just saying that this is about family. This is about us. I enjoy connecting with you in the blue shirt and you with the white cross shirt on. And I don't got my glasses on. I can't see that great. But this is about family. And, uh, and tonight when we play, we're going to enjoy the concert together. This is a together thing. This isn't us just getting up here to play our songs and having a great time. This is about all of us enjoying each other's company. Okay? Does that make sense?
You guys, I'm super excited. My favorite Baron Cross song, if anybody cares, is 2,000 Years, by the way. Love it. But I'm ready for Baron Cross. Are you ready tonight? Thank you, guys. It's an honor to have listened to your music and to be here, and I'm so excited to be part of the Baron Cross family here tonight. Thank you, guys.